Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. What happened to him? Adrian's dead. Listen, you're getting your freedom back, okay? He said that wherever I went, he would find me. Walk right up to me, and I wouldn't be able to see him. Adrian is dead. He's not dead. He has figured out a way to be invisible. He's sitting in that chair. Where are you? Show yourself! Surprise. Holy moly, it's time for the film board from the next reel on rashpixel.fm. We spoil movies. And this month, like many Februarys before this one, we have gone out and seen a Bloomhouse horror flick. The Invisible Man hit theaters on Friday, February 28th, and you can see it in your local cinema right now. We have some months where we become particularly spoilerific, and this one will be no exception. Be prepared for reveals on this one, because just like Get Out and Happy Death Day to You and Early 
earlier years, this Bloomhouse piece will be nearly impossible to discuss without busting some of the twists and turns in the talk. So with that disclaimer out of the way, you have some spare moments now to pause and go out and see the movie if you're the kind of person that feels spoilers ruin the experience of the story. Whether or not that's the case, we hope you like the brand of conversation we deliver with The Next Reel's wide and wonderful party of podcasts. You can learn all about us at thenextreel.com, but the best way to support this thug life is over at patreon.com slash thenextreel. Subscriptions there help us keep the conversation going uh, here and everywhere else in the world. Okay, let's introduce our hosts tonight. First of all, I'm happy to have my horror ally here. Say hello, Tommy Handsome. I'm behind all of you. Right now. <laughs> and tonight, special guest host, Ray Delancey. Hi, Ray. I, I had to use my Gang of Thugs trial membership before it expired. So <laughs> very good. Very good. You Now, you told me something about your movie proclivities that put this month's subject right up your alley. But I feel like it's not my story to tell. So uh, you said you've seen all six of the old Invisible Man movies. Is that right? What? Yes. I am a total universal monster geek. I love oh, the old monster wow. movies. And uh, so I have all the Invisible Man movies on Blu-ray, and I've watched all of them. It's a big deal here because I don't, uh, number one, I don't know that I've ever met anyone that's watched all of them. But number two, I think in all the people we know in the next reel, I don't know that any of us actually have that expertise either. So I'm really happy to have you here today because that was something that I didn't know approaching this movie. I, I'm not really into the scary stuff, but, uh, but I wasn't sure if we'd think about this as a monster. Uh, and that's something that we'll mm. talk to when we get in the show. So anyway, this half of the world uh, out here uh, in the next real universe calls me JJ. And while I usually shy away from this horror genre, like I'm talking about and jump scares and sketchy things all together. I, I, when I saw the trailer for this movie before last month's show, it changed my mind because it looked like it was interesting and it got into that sort of uh, descent of madness stuff. Mm. That I love to see in movies too. So uh, uh, the key here is I don't think I've ever advocated for the film board to see a scary movie. <laughs> But today's the day. So uh, <laughs> thankfully, Ooh. I've gathered this expert duo to walk us through and spoil the scary right out of it. See, it's like scary therapy. <laughs> Scarethopy. Perfect. They're scarethopy. Okay. So doctors, <laughs> let's uh, talk it out and start with your initial thoughts. Ray, first, let's go. Let's have you go first. How does this hold up for you facing all of that history that you know about the Invisible Man? Well, I, the Invisible Man is... A really interesting concept. I mean, H.G. Wells came up with something really interesting there. I mean, think about it. How frightening is it to face a threat that you can't even see? So, I mean, the original films, probably the first more than any others, are a real good time. But uh, this film, I thought, completely reinvented the character and the story from the ground up. And I felt like Wanell brought us a really solid film that fits perfectly into our time. So that's cool. So so it's different than your other Invisible Man experiences, but you it sounded like you liked it. Yeah, very different, but I liked it a lot. Very cool. So so Tommy, then how how to do for you? Well, I'd like to start by saying I am very frustrated uh, by Hollywood's insistence on using existing IP, intellectual property, rebooting or redoing old movies, especially in a horror genre. A horror genre, it should be, I think, as new as possible. I mean, even just this year, in this young year, they tried to bring back the grudge, even with Sam Raimi, and it was a disaster. Um, yeah. So that's all very disappointing. But... That being said, if you are going to be doing a redo or a reboot uh, of a classic horror film, this is exactly the way to do it. I thought this film was excellent. Well, see, and that's kind of key, too. I'm, I'm really glad that you liked it in that way, because for me, uh, I never would have saw this movie unless I saw the trailer. Uh, and I thought the trailer was really interesting and revealing. And I think I think we need to talk about that, too. But I was surprised after seeing the movie when I look at the script credits and see that Lee Wanell uh, is the is the writer, but then also credits the original idea for H.G. Wells. Because is there really anything from the original stories here? Ray, is is is. Is any of that really Wells IP? Just invisibility? <laughs> to be, exactly. Right. Uh, honestly, that is the only thing. And the invisible man's last name, uh, Griffin. Oh, oh. Is, so that's the same. Right. 
see, I think I think that's even more like Easter eggs at this point, isn't it? I mean, pretty much. I mean, maybe it's something that scares us. Well, OK, so but before we get into it, I, I, I'm going to talk through what happens in the movie and it's going to be impossible not to spoil some things uh, with it. And I think they actually realize that with the trailer in this one, too. So and there's more to come on that when we talk about the trailer. So uh, uh, Cecilia Cass, played by Elizabeth Moss, has an intense and terrifying escape from a very suffocatingly secure and I say secure with uh, air quotes here. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a secure, suffocating living situation. And, and we learned that she was in an abusive relationship with a sociopathic genius in optics. Now that's the connection too, right? To the old ones. Invisible man is always some kind of optics scientist. So uh, she's traumatized, of course, and has difficulty assimilating back into regular life. But then there's news that her abuser killed himself. Uh, but she soon begins to be threatened by someone she cannot see. Man. The movie takes a winding path of suspenseful crises and complex manipulation that lead to murder and pregnancy and more. <laughs> uh, all this is meant to isolate and <laughs> gaslight our protagonist. And it leads to a point where she has to choose whether she should return to the abuser to stop the explicit yet invisible threat or take control of her own destiny and slash her way to freedom. Is that what you guys saw? That's kind of what I saw. What did you think? Good work. You got it. Okay, so so is this horror or is it just scary? I, I think a psychological thriller is apt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too. But I, I, I mean, that's the thing. It, it, I, it's billed as a horror film, and and we think of we talk about the his, the Invisible Man being a, a universal picture, a, a monster. But what is this that we're watching here? It's scary, but is it horror? I think it is definitely a horror. Because um, un, it's a, it has all the makings of a thriller, but with almost supernatural aspects to it. Granted, they explain it away with backwards and forwards cameras and stuff. So it's science. But even science fiction can be sort of a certain type of fantastical element, which I would put more towards horror. But in today's world, as I think Ray sort of glanced on about being this being a perfect movie for this era, in today's world, as we are dealing more and more finally with abusive women with uh, toxic men, all of these kind of things. It actually seems more like a social thriller in the way, like you mentioned, get out things like that, that we're, we're really like on the face of it, dealing with these psychological and social uh, issues that we're dealing yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and and that's the thing. See, I haven't seen any of the invisible man movies. Uh, you know, is it a monster? Is the invisible man a monster? Does it always? I haven't get- either. Well, no, I saw the Chevy Chase one. I'm sure that counts, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> Memoirs well, of an Invisible Man. Yeah, right. Yeah, but I mean, is he always a monster? Does the does the bad part of human nature always come out in the Invisible Man? Okay, so here's the thing with the original Invisible Man. In the Wells novel and in the first film, he's not even into optics like you were saying earlier. Oh, okay. I thought that's what it was. No, that's what I read. So. In the original film, Jack Griffin is a chemist who develops a drug that basically draws all the color out of your skin to the point where you become invisible to the naked eye. The only thing is, it slowly drives you insane. Uh, So basically, he becomes a murdering maniac, which so you basically have the mad scientist angle there. And in this film, you have that to a certain extent, although Adrian Griffin, who we see in this film, doesn't turn insane, but you could argue that he was insane to begin with in the way that he treats his, is it his girlfriend or his wife? But I think it's his girlfriend. Okay. They don't really ever talk about it being a marriage, but well, I mean, she's in the will. But it, that's not like a dissolutions thing. So I think, you know, I think it's a girlfriend. But I, I think that's really interesting that you bring that up because I think they made him a monster with a power. He, he's a monster with or without this ability that he that he turns into this thing. So I think that's really interesting here. I never would have guessed, not seeing the original Invisible Man, that it always had to be such a negative. I mean, wait, what's the um, the Sean Connery, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? The right. Invisible Man's in that too, right? I think so. And he's... And and the Invisible Man is a it's a heroish type of character that they use as kind of a red herring for the blame of the negatives. But I think it's it's just interesting because I think uh, for us, when so many Invisible Mans go wrong <laughs> in all the stories in history, we're making invisibility always to be this negative 
power, right? Well, I think that that maybe is a comment on really getting into the, ugh, I don't care for this phrase necessarily, but the heart of man or woman, that if you were granted the power of invisibility, what would you really do? Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. um, There's a great uh, episode of uh, This American Life uh, where uh, the uh, contributor talks about if you could choose between the flight and invisibility, what would you choose? Everyone wants to say flight. A lot of people really would choose invisibility. Right. So everybody, my interpretation of that is that everybody wants to say invisibility, but because of cultural norms, oh, they say well, they flight. mean invisibility. They 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 choose invisibility in their hearts, but flight because then that's uh, a, more of an admirable superhero. But really, we all just want to creep around. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess maybe it is creepy. I mean, that's the point, right? I mean, we talk about this, that, that, like this, the part of this movie is paranoia is, you know, is someone crazy? Do they, are they really threatened? Are we really threatened? How do we know if we can't see the threat that's out there? And in this gaslighting era where there's no reason to get too political about it, but we just have, I mean, there's so many regimes or political uh, factions across the world lying to their people, openly lying, getting caught and saying, that's not what I meant. I mean, over and over, it's sort of at a higher level than at least, or it's more out in the open than it's ever been before. I've heard a world leader say, don't believe what your eyes see. I know. So that's uh, interesting. Uh, well, so if we talk about what they're doing here to us in this movie, and we talk about uh, it, it, paranoia being th this thing that we're dealing with, uh, one of the things that I thought was really key was how they pushed you towards paranoia with the camera mm. in this movie. Oh yeah, I, and I thought so. You know, uh, full full expo full explanation here. I wasn't able to see most of the first third of the movie because I was covering my face because I was terrified. But I would. It was the invisible film. Uh, well, <laughs> until the mythology was able to be revealed, I was constantly paranoid and terrified. So I, you know, when but what they did with the camera in this movie was was really revolutionary for me and and maybe some people, other people have seen it but when the, we lead with the camera showing us a space that we don't know whether someone is there or not it makes the audience paranoid and this whole thing well in, initially after she escapes and she's sitting in the room and she's just doing these really sort of mundane things putting her clothes away but the camera is searching and we all know we've all we've we, we come to the movie with this already understanding of what's happening. So we're looking for something, but nothing happens. It's just this sort of belief in this descent into paranoia. This was a really smart way to approach this with the camera in this movie. Did, were there things that you guys noticed? Were there scenes that you noticed where that uh, really meant something to you as well? Oh, yeah. Like, look at the first 10 minutes of the film. I thought the opening of this movie was awesome i mean the suspense that is built up i mean there's no spoken words really until she makes it to the garage and see she sees the dog but mm -hmm. zeus zeus mm. yeah my favorite character but uh <laughs> like whenever she wakes up in the bed and you know you start to see the layout of their house i mean look at all the open space there and you think you know there's going to be an invisible man in this movie. Look at all the room for him to move around. The use of negative space in the movie is so different than most. I mean, he just really, the movie is about the negative space. And in that first 10 minutes that um, Ray mentioned, I mean, one of the first interesting make you sort of sit up and wonder is when she's doing one of her furthering your way for getting things ready to leave. The camera just does a wide pan left to an empty hallway. And, that's and the then back. And nothing and happens. Back. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think like what you were saying, I think that if you were to like make up a perspective of the film, the film's perspective is paranoia that it is. It's either watching someone or the act of what you would do if you were being watched. And it's also really weirdly meta in that there's a way I was incredibly aware of the camera in this movie in a way that actually helped. Usually when I'm really aware of the camera that gets in the way, but in this, it reminded me how meta it is that the audience is the invisible man in every movie that they go see. Everyone's pretending not to see the camera, so not to see us. We're just haunting all of these people. And this movie is actually about that. It was, I thought that was so cool. Now, now that's a movie we need to make. The meta movie where we are the bad guy. Yeah. The audience is the bad. Stop scaring me. Like that, actually. <laughs> yeah. There's something to that. I think we need to hold Well, there was. I think there is one. There's a couple that have tried that. 
movies like Peeping Tom, or there's one called, I think, Maniac, with the word, the entire movie is shown out of a point of view, and you are the bad guy. They've tried it. I don't know exactly how well it's done, but yeah. Well, yeah, and I mean, that perspective thing in this movie was really interesting to me, because that shot that you mentioned in the first in first 10 minutes, where they're just showing the room, it, it, it it's almost like it creates a paranoia for the viewer, because you're trying to understand who you are. Right. And and you don't know. And the, and, and the thing is, they switch it up. I mean, we do live in uh, C- Cecile's uh, or Cecilia's point of view at some points. We live in our own point of view at some point. Sometimes we actually are the invisible man. And you never know when we're the invisible man or when we're just looking because he really clearly knows that in this movie, kind of like back in the, especially because he chose to be so practical with so much of it until it flies a little bit off the handle towards the end, but where it's all practical effects, like in the paranormal activity movies, your eyes are searching the frame and there's nothing to look at except a chair. And you are just constantly like, I was like blurring my eyes in order to see as soon as any movement happens, I'll be able to like lock into it. That's paranoia. It's brilliant. It is. And, and now did, wait, you mentioned the chair. Did you guys both see the trailer? Yes. Ask first of all. Okay. So you don't, Oh wait. So you wait, why do you say, unfortunately, I want to hear about that. I already was ruined by the trailer. Uh, case in point, the opening of the film, there's all this tension because we're not sure if um, Adrian is going to wake up while she's trying to fly the coop, you know? And then in the trailer, you see her get all the way out to the road, and then he catches up with her at the road and punches through the window. And and in my in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about that, and at the same time saying, no, you could be wrong, you know? Similarly, whenever she's in the attic, Whenever she calls his cell phone and she hears it buzzing in the attic, uh, there's a lot of tension there because we don't know what's going to happen in the attic. And in the trailer, we see him revealed to her on the ladder and she dumps the paint on him. Oh, I didn't see that trailer. That's I didn't very that from the trailer. If but that, the, yeah, the, that's too, way too much. If that's when that's well, so the now here's so now Lee one point about that because a lot of people had that feeling looking at the trailer and the big twists in the story are not revealed in the trailer it's all of the action sequences that are there but the actual these are all so so the interesting thing is if you go to this movie for the action you actually uh, were you saw all those things in the trailer but if the big twists about the some of the murders for example or some of the the sort of um you know the the who done it aspect of this movie none of that is in the trailer so the the thing that i think is really interesting is um it, it, he really made a point of like no 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 there's more make him go see the movie and then the other part is that there were also set pieces in the trailer that were not used in the film Right. The big one was there's someone sitting in that chair where that scene exists, but they don't come in. She doesn't say that. And the other one with the hand on the shower, that is happening more and more. That might not be an actual cut scene. That's been happening for a while, especially with cheaper horror films where it re- it uh, relies a lot on atmosphere versus effects where they the it seems like the ad department is allowed to actually just enter in visual effects. We saw that we saw it in the Bye Bye Man, like a bunch of other ones, not great movies, but that's becoming an okay thing to do of like put in a shock scare visually that's never there and would never have made sense to be there ever. I agree with that. I agree that it never would have made sense to be there. But my point is, when you say it's not a cut scene, do you mean like the ad company or whoever's running the promos for the movie went in and then added like a CGI hand in there? Yes, because that scene, because that scene is there. With yeah. her in that negative space I expected it. on the I thing, looking you're for looking for it, but it didn't show up. I think that they are adding things for movies that don't, if they feel like it doesn't have quite enough, because it is, this seems like unless you lean into the action, this would be a tough movie to advertise because it's filled with empty hallways. In the movie, you're on the edge of your seat with a trailer. You'd be like, do they know that? The camera's on. Like, what's happening? So, I we're seeing a little bit of that more and more with horror. That I think uh, they're letting digital things come in because then you will see the actual scene in the theater, and the scene goes on. Like in the trailer, in the Bye Bye Man, his eyes go black and something jumps out of his head. In the scene, the it just goes past it. Like nothing ever happens. Right. 
Well, and that's, I guess that's my point, right? So that we saw these things in the trailer that weren't in the movie. And then there were, I, I still felt like some of these reveals were perfectly placed and it, and it made still for an interesting movie for me in that I knew from the trailer that, uh, at some point, uh, Cecilia was going to see him, right? Cause you have the, Oh, there you are right in the trailer, but it didn't ruin any of the pieces of the movie for me because of the pacing and the reveals were set up so perfectly. I felt like the pacing was fast in this movie, even though it was, even though there was all that room and there were complete camera shots that were for extended seconds that showed literally nothing. They existed in my own paranoia, like we were talking about here, but at no point did I feel like the movie dragged and it, and it was constantly pushing me to go forward with Elizabeth Moss in this. How did you guys feel about the passing? The pacing. I thought it was terrific. I like you said. Uh, I I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, there wasn't a boring moment in the film, and I thought that it was very fluid the whole way through. I mean, I never could have told you by the end of the film that that was two hours. I thought the pacing was perfect for a first watch. I think the pacing, personally for me, will hurt for the second time because I know when to look out for something. Sure. Oh. I don't think that I miss things and there's a lot of air, which I know I'll be looking at it more analytically versus I will, it'll be hard to really capture that kind of paranoid uh, feeling for a lot of it because I, now I know that a lot of it, he just lets you swing. Sure. Sure. Well, and now for me being such a horror rookie and not really, really feeling comfortable going to, to be scared in movies, I felt like the execution on this movie was, and I, I don't necessarily use this word lightly, but I felt like the execution was kind of perfect. There was never a moment in it that I was like, oh, that's cheap or, or something like that. So I wanted to ask you guys both, you know, being fans of these movies, was there something that let you down in this movie? Or was there a moment where you said, oh, this is kind of, that, that's not enough. That's not, that's not right. That, that isn't clever. For me, it was the inevitable. He, the director, um, so wisely, as I already mentioned, used practical effects use things. It was all just like almost as if a ghost, like from paranormal activity was doing things. You didn't see things floating around because that's always kind of going to suck a little bit. It was inevitable. And at some point then during that big hallway, when they finally, you just saw the gun floating around the invisible fights, the invisible fights against the people. Dope. Those were so, so cool. great. But when yeah. just a gun is floating around by itself, I was like, well, it was going to I'm glad that it only is happening this once. I thought it was dumb looking. Uh, OK, I, I think that's fair. But the, 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 the first time we see that for real, the first time we know we're seeing a floating something for real is awesome when it's the knife behind her head in the restaurant. Oh, that's dynamite. It is such a great thing. So, I mean, and for me, that inoculated me against oh, the other I see. Well, see, I guess that it was so quick that yeah. you get the sister's look and then you're like, what's going on? And then you just have time to register it. Then it happens. That's the way. And so when we're just like watching the gun float around like that Chris Evans movie push, that's when I was like, oh, did you no. have to did you have to do this? You've been so great. <laughs> sure. You've been so good at not doing that uh, because it's just not a good looking effect. But then once when he was later, when he had the gun and was walking around, when his suit is trans not transforming is spitzing out. I was fine with that. Yeah. It was just that yeah. one thing. I'm really, because you asked the question, I think I'm really nitpicking. No, that's it's fair. just that one I thing. Mean, when I was like, older movies, the whole movie would have been that. All of Chevy Chase's movie, the joke was, what? That orange juice is drinking itself? And that all sucks. Uh, so the fact that he was able to just do it in one scene with the gun is very admirable. Well, I like that. And right now, Ray, you said that you were satisfied with everything. Oh, it, yeah. it holds up to all the stuff you've seen? Oh yeah, I mean, I think uh I think Tommy really hit the nail on the head. Uh yes. I think they use the effects perfectly without overdoing it. And whenever you're doing a movie like this, and it's really been the case throughout the history of the Invisible Man films, they tend to make the effects the showcase and really mm. focus on that. Mm -hmm. But I thought that the effects here were terrific without being too showy. And I thought that at no time during this movie did I feel like annoyed because, oh man, this is just a bunch of CGI. Like Tommy says, fake things fighting fake things. <laughs> right. <laughs> what a legacy. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I, I, I felt like what we were presented with was perfect. I, I really don't have any other way to put it. The only nitpicky things that I had was the sort of leap she took when trying to get to the code. When she when she, that was when she sneaks into the house and she needs to get the code and she gets the birthday or the the day they met right. or their anniversary or whatever that one bothered me a little bit but the, the interesting thing in reading some of the things about this story um, we all talk about how great that beginning was those first ten minutes of the movie and her escape uh, I guess Lee Wanell had a lot of uh, criticism about that and that the studio and then also test audiences were saying like, we want to see more. We want to know why she's escaping and all these things. And they either wanted to do it flashback or they wanted to give it, you know, like five oh, minutes of the abuse before any of this stuff. Sure. Right. Like, and this kind of thing. Not needed. So the, yeah, exactly. And that's the reason I bring it up because uh, I was really happy with the execution here. And if that kind of stuff would have come up, I would have been like, I didn't need that, you know? And, and that's the art of a movie like this. This is what I think, why I think, even me who has difficulty seeing scary movies, why I appreciate Bloomhouse and the, the creative freedom that it's giving the filmmakers to do the right thing in a movie and to take a risk like that. When even you have a test audience going, oh, you know, I need to see more. Or I don't believe it. He was able to kind of take this vision and make a te- an opening 10 minutes, including including the title screen, the camera then coming up and leading into a house. I mean, just everything meticulous in that first 10 minutes. And it was just powerful and perfect. And if we can, I don't, I'm not saying that we need to move on, but I think one of the big reasons that that opening 10 and the entire movie works so well is Elizabeth Moss. She is incredible. She's great. She's so incredible. Yes. And it's her movie. I mean, this focuses on her. She takes an emotional roller coaster through it i mean it, it, it necessitated by the story we are putting her through all of the paces in terms of emotional and she delivers in a way that is i mean i i like her already right i liked her before i walked in the movie i knew i was going to like her in this movie but she executed so well i i loved everything she did and i totally bought into her experience <laughs> the whole way through the nameless terror that she is because they didn't give us so much backstory and give us a thing in the beginning that you, she just sells, this is the most dangerous house in the world, and you need to escape. She does that alone without, like Ray said, without a single word. It's, it's, that's a lot to put on somebody. And you know what? I think kudos to the director slash writer as well, because he made the decision that this film titled The Invisible Man should focus not on the invisible man, but on the victim. Yeah, I didn't realize until the end. I was like, oh, that's the Invisible Man. Like, I'd never, we never really saw him yes. ever. And I was like, oh, that's the guy from House on Haunted Hill. No, not House on Haunted Hill. What is it? The one he's in that, is it the House on Haunted Hill? That uh, cool Netflix series. Haunt, Haunting of Hill House? Haunting of Hill House. That's Theo from Haunting of Hill House. And I was like, Theo! Like three quarters into the movie. <laughs> right. Because he's not Hi, the Theo. Focus. Oh, right. You're a creep. <laughs> Well, and there's a story that's that's circulating out there right now that even after Winnell wrote the script, he brought it to Elizabeth Moss and said, please correct me here because I want to make oh, sure that my female's that, point that of view experience. Exactly. Smart. I want to make sure that I have the female point of view here. And and right away, you think about that sort of synergy between a director and and the actor in this movie. Right. I mean, there's other there's other performances in the movie, too, but she is the focus of this movie. Like how great that she gets to get that level of investment right up front so it can be her experience uh, her experience in the story and she gets to display it on screen too i just thought it was so smart and so wonderfully executed very much so i agree do you guys want to talk about any of the other players in the movie i thought aldous hodge was exactly the character he needed to be that's james that's the dad um i i i was happy with what he did he was fun to watch on screen yes he's great he's a black mirror alum oh he is what was he in black mirror he's the one in the uh the black museum uh <gasps> one where yes. the, the guy has the wife in his head through a chip yep. because Black Mirror likes to put things in people's heads. <laughs> Thanks, Black Mirror. Yes. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> well, I I love Black Museum. I, the, the thing that I knew him from was he was MC Ren in Straight Outta Compton. You're right. Mm. Oh, you and I really yeah. cover all of pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> One way or another. Yeah. Um, uh, were there were there other people that you liked in the movie? I mean, most of them only showed up for a short amount of time. But everyone worked great, I thought. The sister was a little cold for me. I know she was supposed to be cold and maybe it's to make her 
very, very shocking death. That is one of the most shocking, not gruesome, but most shocking deaths that I have seen in a long time in a movie when I'm already like teed up for things. That was because it's also such a, oh my God, what is Elizabeth Moth going to do now? I mean, it was just, oh, so great. She She had lost everything. So, I mean, and that's, okay, so her death, that's the big first twist when her death comes in the middle of the restaurant and you get the invisible man causes it to be pinned on Cecilia. So now th- th- there's no way you could know that is going to happen going into the movie. No, they set you up to be, she is the savior, right? I mean, the sister is the savior. She's the one that oh, can I bring see us out saying. of this. Sure. And in, in a flash, she is gone. And we just thought we had a moment where we thought Cecilia could be at no, could be no worse off. And immediately we know she's way worse off. Well, it was a redemption scene and it was the time in the general pacing of this kind of movie to finally have an ally. Right. And the fact that it's a sister and this is a female led movie that you're like, got it. Women are going to team up. Nope. Okay. Now she's on the ground. So, I mean, he's really playing also with the, the normalities of uh, the genre. Which Plus is cool. as a viewer, I think you're also looking for some redemption. After the fake email was sent, you're looking for, you know, that to be fixed for the sister to realize, oh, that really wasn't Cecilia. Right. She's going to finally like, oh, of course. The mo- and the most obvious thing in the world, he also subverts the one really smart thing that she does. She says, we have to meet in a public place. It's right. the most mm. crowded, loud, overfilled restaurant in the world. And of course, the one thing that can't help you with that is an invisible man. Mm. Yes. That's I just re- I just realized that's another way that he really let me to finally get my guard down. A, I believed in their relationship. B, I believed why it was falling apart and C, I desperately wanted Elizabeth Moth to have someone on her side and then it was all taken away from me in a flash. In a flash. And so now the other big twist that I found, right, is the, is Michael Dorman, right? Michael Dorman plays the brother, plays Tom Griffith, is that Griffin? Which is it? Griffin. It's Griffin. Griffin. So he plays Tom and, it, you know, he's a really creepy lawyer that it, that does a great job of moving back and forth in this piece of where he's uh, he's a jerk and then he's a victim and then he's a terrifying jerk. And the thing that I wondered is at what point. So we are led to believe at some point that Tom is also controlled by this sociopath, Adrian. Did you guys it, it, looking at the entire story and what happens with Tom when he becomes an accomplice? And he tries to push Cecilia back to Adrian in the jailhouse scene. And then ultimately we get sort of the big head fake of, of Tom wearing the suit and becoming an assailant. Did you guys believe then that he was still under Adrian's control or are they, are they teaming up? What, how did you feel about the Tom Adrian relationship? We never see it on screen. It's something that we completely construct in our own minds. Is Tom under Adrian's control too? Is he a victim or is he an accomplice? I, think you could be both in an abusive relationship with a sociopathic narcissist, a sociopathic narcissist. Anyways, <laughs> um, uh, you can in a way be both. Oh, sure. I, th- I guess I think they were in cahoots the whole time. I do too. I don't think he was ever controlled by Adrian. I think they were both sociopathic na- narcissists that were working together the whole time. I think from the first moment you see him, uh, he gives an air of not being trustworthy. I mean, he like he just looks like a total creep. I mean, <laughs> I mean yes. super fan, well, <laughs> Michael Dorman, yeah. super fan. Right. Um, that was the only twist that I wasn't thrown by. Is because we'd never which see- part? We- which part didn't throw you when you? He when was he going was to be in. The, he was the going to be in the invisible suit at some point. You got that? Well, just because didn't we that. didn't have a face. For right. Mr. Invisible Man yet. So there was no one. Once it became clear that she was probably going to unmask him, you'd be like, oh, it's that guy. We only had one other face. The film was a little bit undercast in that way for that thing. It had to be him. Otherwise, it would just be some stranger. 
Yeah, see, you're right. And I think maybe because you see suspenseful movies more often than me, that makes sense for you. I was already so exhausted from the ride that when finally in that scene, she shoots him and she's ready for the unmasking. I was like, great, we finally get to see who this jerk is. And I was like, no, I mean, I was totally (laughs) alone for the ride. Yeah. So uh, and, and again, I talked about how difficult the first third of the movie was for me because of the paranoia. Once we got to the mythology, once we start seeing the suit and understanding it, I was totally totally sucked in. Book of the I mean, I was with this movie the whole way after that and I was I was ready to go. And so all of that I was I was fully with it. And that totally took me by surprise. That thing that's another thing that I wanted to draw as that wasn't revealed in the trailer that made this movie special for me. It was a twist that I I couldn't have guessed. Yeah, I'm right there with you. To be honest, whenever she unmasks him and it was Tom, I was completely taken by surprise because I figured him as just the guy doing the paperwork, basically. And yeah. the jellyfish. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> You're just the jellyfish. I'm going to use that next time I come across somebody I don't like, you know, there you go. Except you come across an invisible person. (laughs) Right. Because that happens so often. Yeah. Right. But, um, but yeah, I, I, so that was completely unexpected for me. And so then I start to think, so were the two brothers switching on and off, which kind of makes sense if they wanted to cover more ground because there were some, some moments in the film where it seemed like, well, he caught up to her pretty fast. Like whenever she went to their old house and she discovers the suit. Zeus's house. <laughs> so sad. Yeah. Zeus is always like, what's up? That dog is just chilling. <laughs> well, but he was still alive. He, I think that's true. That's great. I wanted to put still him in there. the invisible suit. Oh, sequel. Right. But yeah, whenever she gets to the house and then the invisible man is there. It's like, okay, that seems kind of weird that he caught up with her. Like how did the invisible man take an Uber? (laughs) Well, that's another thing. Like we never see her call the Uber. We see her running from the house. Like how did she get an Uber? That's, that's the whole value proposition of rideshare. It's there when you need it. Um, (laughs) I dig it. But (laughs) no, but uh, for him, the suspension of disbelief with getting wherever you need, he didn't have to actually have to wear the suit because what was powering the suit we see on the wall is actually a tablet. So he can bring the tablet with him and turn it on, turn it off. Mm, So he was probably driving and he did, we did see that when he was at the uh, hospital, the the prison hospital or whatnot, where she was being held, he did have a vehicle there too. So there, there's a little bit there, but again, these are just kind of t- quick twists and turns that, uh, that actually uh, that really kind of pay off. And it is interesting that the last thing, when you see him after she sweeps all of the stuff and steals his pen, she says, to, uh, the brother says to her, you know, we'll be watching you. That becomes right. very sort of telling oh, later. We'll yes. be watching you. Yeah. Yeah. Total accomplice. I think he's a total accomplice. Mm-hmm. I don't believe he was ever controlled. Uh, we already talked about our love for the camera a little bit. I think that's great. I want to draw attention to the cinematographer. It is Stefan. It's D-U-S-C-I-O, either Duscio or Duscio. Uh, he is an Australian as well as Lee Winnell. He worked with Lee Winnell on Upgrade as well. So they have some great things going. It looks like uh, there's some really neat stuff coming out of there from Australia. I saw also a story where they talked about these Bloomhouse films only usually being made with about a $5 million budget. And they said, yeah, but if you shoot it in Australia, number one, with the exchange rate, number two, when you get all of the incentives to shoot there, making a $5 million U.S. movie is like making a $10 million Australian Oh, good day. That's a so deal they, on the <laughs> Exactly. And I think that, I mean, that shows how you can get... Uh, get away with some really neat things if you kind of move it over there. And the the talent, I, I just think how they use the camera here was perfect. I think these two guys working together was really special too. I was really happy with it. This actually has, because I did see Upgrade, this has some, ugh, with uh, risk of making a joke, which I'm not upgraded. They did some stuff in Upgrade <laughs> where um, during fight scenes, it's like, you know, we came up with that overused effect at one point where it was almost like the uh, camera is hooked around someone's neck. It was used when someone like had too much drugs and they're like stumbling around and the camera's right in their face. Right. Yeah. But this isn't like that. This is. But when someone is invisibly punched to the side, it's like the camera is completely fixed on their right. head. Yes. That's a lot of the effect in upgrade. And this is so much better because there's no one there. Those fighting scenes with the invisible, everyone was perfect to me. It it was so special because you uh, constantly searching 
where the person is or what kind of person is. Early on, when Cecilia's fighting him in the kitchen and dining room, and she's hitting him with plates, yeah, you can't see him. Yeah, like how brilliant is that? And then the whole fight scene in the hallway of the hospital. Where there's constantly this, and then the the big invisible fight is, of course, with James, with you know the two. Yeah, they are all uh, perfect and and horrifying, horrifying. Like uh, you're you're as an audience member, you're constantly envisioning what would I do, right? How would I how would I save myself in this situation? And there's no way to do it. And something that I really noticed about James, which was cool, is because he's a cop, he has training. A lot of people would just were like just sort of standing there and getting hit and getting hit. Don't know he was. Uh, what's it called? Automatically covering his head yeah. before he started, yeah. before he lost the thing, he was in a fight against someone that he didn't know and was doing the best he could. That's a neat, that's a really cool little detail to put in of like having someone's instincts kick in, even when you're fighting a foe that you can't see. I like that. It was so great. And he got the, yeah, not punched out of him. Yep. It was a brutal, brutal fight scene. And to have that happen without seeing the assailant, it, I just, I thought it was great. Uh, one of the other things, so I, I, after I left the movie, I went to the bathroom oh. and in the theater, in the theater that, that, uh, that I was in, the bathrooms uh, have a common entrance right? and then the men go off to the left and the women go off. To right. The left. So as I go into the bathroom uh, and I'm going to the bathroom, I hear like a woman <laughs> seemingly behind me. <laughs> Oh my! And all I could think about, because she was talking as she's going off to the right in this common entrance, and I just, and all I can think about is, wait a second, am I in the wrong bathroom? Which makes no sense because <laughs> sure. it was urinal. But, uh, but like the point that I want to make is the sound work in this movie had me totally questioning my sure. environment. Like all the word, uh, the sound design in this movie constantly, you could, you were listening for footfalls, yep. you were listening for, uh, you know, all the shots of, of couches and chairs and you were just looking and, and listening for the slightest movement that was so beautifully done and and the sound throughout the movie the effects everything was so perfect i i never noticed things like that i shouldn't say i never do i very rarely notice stuff like that in this movie it had me it added so much to where i was looking to where i was thinking to everything i was so happy with the sound design in this movie and in that way with the cinematography with the sound with everything i think We've talked a lot about gaslighting. We've talked about these things. What the film can be seen as such a great metaphor for is how trauma, like take out the invisible man, how trauma can haunt you and infect the lives of those around you way after it's done. I mean, there's, this film could be half an hour long and not have an actual invisible man and it would still sort of work because she's just so scared all the time that's the best horror movies of course you know have to be like a metaphor or something that we're dealing with and i think that's just it's pretty great yeah her terror is felt yeah throughout the movie yeah and it's and, infectious and it's insidious yes and then there's the added benefit of having something terribly horrifying doing it right to, to you um the scene where um she's about to have girls night with Ugh. sydney with the daughter yeah. and they move to go and then kick the invisible man hits the girl oh oh man wow how did that hit i mean that kind of thing is just like what was that see that's <sighs> what i took is one of the first bigger not twists but like oh he's just going to tear her entire life down yep. step mm. by step by step yeah yeah yeah, it was it was brutal. There were so many of them. And and that reminds me of another scene that was in the trailer that wasn't in the movie when it, she wakes up and sees a phone taking shots of her. Right. The phone. Right, that isn't there cuz that scene is there. You see the The, the scene the, is there, but you don't right. see in the in the trailer, you see her sit up and screaming. Right. So glad that it. it's not there because you know it looks dumb a floating phone. <laughs> right? <laughs> For the producers that brought us hallway gun. Yeah, it's so much right. better without it. Yeah. And the film exceeds where that fails. I just think, uh, I think this is a really special movie that uh, that people, if you can handle the scared stuff, I think everybody should go see this movie because it's a powerful, and, and it has the connections to the past, right? I mean, it has this, it's based on The Invisible Man, but it's, I, I think, uh, you know, Ray, you put it so nicely at the beginning of the show that it's the kind of thing that brings a new spin on this. And I, I think... I mean, it is that kind of old IP being repurposed here, but I think they did it in the perfect way. 
Um, is this canon for you, Ray? Is this is this the kind of thing that both the people who love the old and the people who are going to like the new, do you think they're going to like this as well? Well, I think you're always going to have the purists who are going to feel butthurt no matter what happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What, right. w- well, what purist thing These are my Ghostbusters. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember when the trailer for this first came out, and I thought the trailer looked so rad, so I posted it in the universal monster group on Facebook. And they were like, you're an idiot. This. Oh, really? That's oh. not my invisible man. Oh, you got fanboyed. That's Oh, real quick, Ray. Did you see, and did, what did you think about the mummy? Yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So invisible man, we can go back. I was just wondering if you had, uh, if your love for universal things, it, you know, eclipses over of like, I still liked it because. Well, here, here's my hot take on the mummy. I think, they were trying to do too much uh, too soon. I think that it could have worked if they had started slowly. I Because that was the first movie of what they were hoping would be a connected cinematic universe. Right. And so they, but, maybe they overreached a bit. I get it. You're right. Right. Okay. But And The Invisible Man was supposed to be a part of that. I think they had signed Johnny Depp if memory serves to star in the invisible man. And then after the mummy flopped so terribly that went by the wayside. Okay. Yeah. Well, and we did, we did the mummy for this show too. And I I think it's near the bottom of the pack for us too. When we start ranking Uh, in in terms of final thoughts, Tommy, you have anything else to say about this one? Do you think, uh, who do you think should go see this movie? Everybody. I mean, if you, if you, if you don't like scary movies, this movie is legitimately very scary and I see scary movies for a living. And so, um, (laughs) you know, this won't be for you, but it's smart. It's IP that is smart and a completely redo. It is like Ray said, I, all I kind of want to do is keep saying what Ray says, um, is that it's of our time. It takes this idea and really remakes it into something that is relevant, scary. And at times it is a masterclass of filming and negative space and new ways of sharing perspectives with the camera. Uh, I loved it. I think that's kind of one of the things too, because we always talk about this sort of repurposing old IP. And I think that's really difficult as a film viewer these days to sort out which ones are going to take this new and interesting way of looking at things and which ones are just trash because there's so many out there that are just trash and you know honestly we're about to go through our flick chart you see a lot of that we see a fair amount of them here on the film board because they have such wide appeal and they deserve being talked about but this one is something special and i'm excited to rank it so let's do that now he's invisible invisible the man's invisible let's go rank this on the chart all right (laughs) (laughs) not one of my best i love it (laughs) No, I mean, I literally, I, I want to tell you, I love Olivia Newton-John. Okay. I literally just found the vinyl to Xanadu. It's out of print. You did. A tiny little record wow. shop in, on, on my way to Bellingham, Washington. I'm super excited about it. And it, uh, you know, the movie doesn't hold up, but the music still does. So anyway, uh, we're going to Flickchart. We've got all the movies we've talked about on this show ranked over at flickchart.com slash TNR Film Board. Flickchart is a really cool site where you can create a tournament-style stack ranking of your movie preferences. So check it out and find out how your film favorites fare against ours. First time for everything, I have the keys to the castle. Oh, So I will be running our Flickchart. And there's only three of us. No row. No row sham. No paper, rock, scissors. I'm super happy. That's right. Okay, first one. The Invisible Man versus Kingsman, the Golden Circle. Invisible Man. Wait, which one is Kingsman? The second one. Uh, this one. I haven't Invisible seen Man. it. Okay. Invisible Man. We're going with that. Uh, da, 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 da. Invisible Man or Split. Ooh. Ooh. Well, Invisible Man because it sticks the landing. Yeah. You know, I think you're right. I'm going to go with Invisible Man too. You know, is, is Split Bloomhouse as well? Yes. I think it is. Yeah. He's, he's that in the visit. He's been giving Shyamalan his new resurgence. Love it. And he did glass as well. Ray, did you see Split? No. I'm a okay, loser. so that's okay. We're Invisible Man right up there. Okay, now, oh, his, these are good. These are actually good battles. The Invisible Man or Knives Out? Mm. Ouch. I will tell you that. Knives, <laughs> knives Out for me. Go ahead. Interesting. Ginger. Ray, did you see both? Yeah. I th- okay, I want to hear yours because I'm not sure about mine just yet. Oh, man. This is like <laughs> a total brain buster, man. Uh, in a pinch, I think I'd have to say Knives Out. 
Okay, I'm glad that you guys were unified because I did not want to be there. I like both these movies in the way that they are revealing stuff along the side. I think, and I think if we didn't pick Knives Out, I think everybody else on the film board would try to hunt us down and, and get us. So anyway, <laughs> oh, here we go, the other side. So The Invisible Man or Glass. I'm going to say The Invisible Man as well, even though I loved Glass. Wait, that's how we just did Glass? We did Split. Uh, sorry, I, I, I'm I, terrible I at listening. Oh, um, that's okay. oh, that's what I that okay. Apply my stick to landing comment to glass. I was talking about glass, but it actually goes for both. I will still say Invisible Man. Yeah, me too. Next one. Oh, Invisible Man or Ant Man? <laughs> Abstain. <laughs> oh no, I saw Ant Man. No, I saw the same. We did. We saw it together. Oh, we did see it together. That's right. Yes, Invisible Man. Still, there's Invisible yeah, Man. there's ants. Invisible Man. Screw off. Did you ants. watch Ant Man, Ray? I'd say Invisible Man. Perfect. Cool. Unified. Oh, okay. Invisible Man or Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one. Ooh. I will go ahead and say Invisible Man. I got to go with Guardians. Ooh! JJ, JJ, JJ. See, but I think the Guardians franchise is like the best in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Thank you. Uh, you know, you deserve it. Um, <laughs> oh, gosh. Ah. I'm going to have to say Guardians. I think it's more groundbreaking. Invisible Man is so good, I'm but I'm going to go that. with Guardians. Okay. Your karma is good, JJ. Thank you. I'm going to hold on to it. Okay. So the Invisible Man is now a number 14 on our flick chart. Wow. That's, that's really great. high, right? That's really high. And I'm happy about it. I think it belongs high. Can I you think say what's ahead be... of it and below it? Or is that hard sure, to figure sure. out? Sure, sure. Hold on a second. So we, it is just above Ant-Man and just below yep. Kingsman, The Secret Service, the first one. Oh. And we didn't rank that. But I think... I think it belongs there. Yeah. I'm happy with that. It feels high to me. Like it's also above like prisoners and a, a couple of some uh, other things. But I think mm. it, based on our viewing here, it might not hold up in that position, but that's a great spot for it. What would you guys say for uh, your letterbox rating out of five stars and 0.5s count for me? It's a like and a four star movie for me. Same with me, please, sir. Okay. The exact Great. same here. Hooray. Perfect. Look at us. So we get it. Four stars and a like. That's a pretty positive movie. And I think actually our ranking would probably put it even a little bit higher numbers wise for us. But I think that's kind of that point of that we have that uh, wonderful recency with it. And I think um, I think it's going to be an interesting movie for everyone else to go see, too. Where do we go from here next month? We are talking about going to see another Bloomhouse film. This one kind of everyone's talking about because of the potential political firestorm that it may or may not set off. We have to go see it, right? It's the hunt. Uh, supposed to be a bunch of liberal elites uh, kidnapping people and hunting them for sport. As we do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean Wednesday, the film? <laughs> well, it is an election year. So we're talking about going to see that. That comes out uh, Friday, March 13th, Friday the 13th. And we're going to probably do a show there on it on the 14th. So you can hear that the following week. The main show, we don't have anyone from the main show here with Pete and Andy, but they are currently in a series about French crime film. Cool. Yeah. And this last week, the last thing they posted was a movie called Rififi. Oh, yeah. With that show? Yeah. Okay. So they're doing a lot of interesting movies here. Rififi, Famous. The True. Um, yeah, really big ones. So I think it's a lot of interesting stuff. So catch them on the weekly show there as well. And I didn't really talk about it in the show open, but all you wonderful people out there in the world should come join us over on our Discord channel at thenextreel.com. You can let us know that you want to hang out on our server where we gather with the Fun Film family to discuss lots of remarkable things from throughout the entertainment universe. There's also specific chats about all of our shows. So come join our gang and interact with us on the internet. Yeah, That's where we'll keep the conversation going and you can connect with all of us there. For this part, say goodnight, Tommy Handsome. Good night, everybody. And I'd like to give special thanks to our special guest. You are a lifesaver, Ray Delancey. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a blast. Awesome. The film board will be back in a few weeks because at the next reel, when the movie ends, our conversation begins. Till next. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Egger's tech thriller, The Circle? 
supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grant's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 